welcome back to Chronicles of Curiosity. My name is Mason, and as always, I'm joined by my co-host. Hey, I'm Katie. Today, we'll be covering a case that you may not have heard of, since it definitely doesn't get the same amount of attention as similar cases. We'll be looking at the Axeman murders of New Orleans. Oh, truly, I don't think I've ever heard of this. Um, yeah, I mentioned it to you a couple weeks ago when I was doing the research on this, uh-huh. and you, yeah, you'd said you never heard of it because yeah. I hadn't either. Okay, all right, I'm going in blind. I like it. So this is truly one of the most brutal serial killer cases of the 20th century, mm. but it's on the very early half of the 20th century, so it doesn't get much coverage, and it's also really uh, gruesome. So okay. again. Not something that could be easily recreated by like TLC. Oh, if they yeah. do crime content, I don't. I'm not sure that they do, but um, we'd so also that's, is that also a warning for violence and gore? Yeah, but I feel like at this point it should be pretty. If this is your first episode and you're listening, yes, there will be some violence and gore. If this is not your first episode. You should know what you're getting yourself into. Pr- probably yes. Uh, we'd like to remind everyone uh, before we really get into it here uh, to consider following us on social media at Chronicles of Curiosity Podcast on Instagram and at Cur- uh, Chronicles of Curiosity Pod on TikTok. If you've been enjoying the show, please tell a friend. And if you don't have any friends, uh, we hope you consider we'll be your us friends. your friends. Yeah. 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 Before we get into our topic today, is there anything you've been curious about this week? So, not so much curious about, but I have been bopping along to the, um, so, let me backtrack. So, earlier this week, I saw the new, um, The Little Mermaid Mm -hmm. with my sisters, the live action one with Halle Berry and Melissa McCarthy and some other folks, um, and I have been singing Part of Your World on repeat. I love it. That movie was so good. I really highly recommend you go see it. Mason didn't really want to go see it, so it was a girls' night with me and my sisters, but it was... It was really good. I, I I can go either way with the Disney live action remakes that they've been doing. Um, I loved this one. This one was really very good. So my personal opinion, I enjoyed it. Let me know your input if you have seen it. If you haven't seen it, I recommend. Mace, if you want to go see it, I'll go see it again. Well, thank you for the invitation. Yeah. I'll at that. The only reason I didn't want to see it is because it, it felt like that was a little bit more for me personally. was a little bit more of something I just watch on TV when it like on Disney yeah. Plus when it when it shows up. Yeah. Um, but I would consider seeing, I saw the yeah. other ones. I saw a couple of the other ones in the live action theater. ones. Yeah. The live action remakes. So you, what has there been so far? There's, well, what was the first one? Cinderella. I was going to ask you to rank them. Rank them. Yeah. From right, what well, you've seen, if you haven't okay, seen so one. Let me start then. with a list. So we've got Cinderella. We've got the Lion King. We've got Beauty and the Beast. We've got the Little Mermaid. Am I forgetting any? Uh, Aladdin. Aladdin. Mm-hmm. Oh. With Will Smith. And, right. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So from... We'll go, we'll go my least favorite to my favorite. I don't really remember the live action, The Lion King. I don't think I've seen that one more than once. So I'm going to put that at the bottom of the list. And I know that's a hot take. I'm probably going to get some attitude for that. But that's where, that this is, that's my opinion. It also didn't have any people in it. Yes, which like, I found it, hard to, I don't, I'm not huge on the original, The Lion King wow, either. that's a hot take too. I know it is. I mean, it's a good movie. And Hakuna Matata is my life motto. Um, I think most people would put The Lion King, the original, uh, pretty high up on their yeah, on their list. I know. But it's just not one that I find myself like wanting to watch. Well, to be honest, it's not really a feel good. Precisely. <laughs> not in the Precisely. same way. Precisely. Yeah. Do you um, want me to continue my ranking? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So at the bottom is The Lion King uh, live action remake. And I'm sorry to Beyonce and all her other folks that were in that movie. After that, I think I'm going to go Aladdin. 
And I think I'm probably going to get some attitude for that, too, because I know my sisters loved that. Mm. Um, the music is good, but eh. And then next we're going to go Beauty and the Beast. I, I'm not a huge fan of Emma Watson as Belle. I don't feel like she get, has enough flavor. Enough character. She's white bread. Um, if white bread were a flavor, it would be Emma Watson as Belle from Beauty and the Beast. Now her as Hermione in Harry Potter, she freaking killed it. She's British, right? Yes. Okay, that's ironic because what I'm going to talk about here in a second also fits into white okay. bread. Okay. And then next up, I'm ooh, I'm going to go Cinderella. Okay. And then first place, I'm going to say The Little Mermaid. Part wow. of that is because it's the freshest in my yeah. mind. Yep. But I loved it. It was so good. Melissa McCarthy did a phenomenal job as Ursula. She's hilarious. She stole the show. And she, like, Ursula's not a funny character, so it was interesting to see her as, like, not, like, a comedy type of placement. But she killed it. She was so, so good. It was, like, the classic Ursula that you're used to, but just a little bit newer. Did so. She, so she didn't bring any comedy into it at all? Not that I recall. Hmm. Ursula's the villain. She's not that funny. That's actually probably um, a good thing. Yeah. Because they, ha- they have been pretty faithful with the recreations. Yes. Yep. Yeah. So yeah. that's probably probably for the better mm-hmm. that they didn't go a different tone with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Halle Berry did a phenomenal job. She has an amazing singing voice. Um, and I just thought she was adorable as Ariel. She was so, like, she was, she looked like a princess. She was so sweet. And if you recall from The Little Mermaid, she doesn't have a voice for a good chunk of the movie. And mm-hmm. she still killed it. So, yeah. I was pretty happy with that. So that's my official ranking. Nice. As of June 9th, twenty twenty three. Hit me up in a few weeks. Put a stamp I'll let you on know. It. Yeah. yeah. How about you? You've been curious about anything this week? I have. Um I this is from a couple weeks ago, but are you familiar with British Chinese food? No. So traditional Chinese food here in America is usually what? It's like rice, egg rolls, and some sort of protein or mm-hmm. like a tofu. It's pretty standard. Mm -hmm. Like maybe sometimes you get noodles instead of rice. Well, this was going around on the internet a couple weeks ago. Okay. And uh, people were exposing the British for their Chinese takeout opinions. I'm intrigued. So they have a couple of different staples that we would not consider Chinese food in the slightest. Uh, The biggest is chips and curry sauce. That's... What? It's just French fries with a with a sauce on it. That's okay. that's like probably Wouldn't like a that be like gravy, like Indian food or yeah, that'd Eastern be Eastern European. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Also, the other big sticking point for Americans in their uh, ridiculement of mm-hmm. the British Chinese food opinions: Chinese food, do, uh, British people do not believe that Chinese food should have uh, vegetables in it. So, like you know, we have what like bean sprouts. Fuck? We have uh, mixed veg with peas, carrots. Um, we've, there's like a lot of vegetable mixed in. There's yeah. water chestnuts, peanuts. I know not a vegetable, but mm-hmm. um, yeah, a lot of a lot of things mixed in with it, which yeah. they don't have that generally. It's like basically just straight. When we are when we finish the episode today, I would like you or whoever's listening to go look up a picture of traditional British. Look it up right now, it's called they call it takeaway, but it's just traditional British takeout food. Which I think takeaway sounds adorable. Takeaway sounds like better. that sounds so cute. Yeah, definitely, definitely. So I looked up a picture of it, and it. I'm confused by it. Um, there's rice. I'll give them that. But then there's what may be egg rolls. And they poured like a sauce over it. I think that's what you were talking about because there was also some French fries. And they like put everything on the same plate, which is how you eat Chinese food here yeah, yeah. in America. Um, hmm. 
I'm confused I, by it. Yeah, I encourage you to, if you're listening, to go look up the differences. Yeah, and I uh, looked on on TikTok. That mm-hmm. gave me more results than um, Google Images. Yeah, yeah, usually does now. Yes. Um, well, anyway, that's enough talk about bad food. So let's head to one of the best food cities in America, Ooh. New Orleans. Oh yeah. The Axeman of New Orleans was a serial killer operating between May of 1918 to October of 1919, leaving a wake of terror and death in his path. Okay. It was a short stint there. Yeah, it was, but it's a prolific stint. So with a victim profile mainly focusing on Italian immigrants, he would kill six and injure six more. Jeez. Today, we'll be rediscovering this mostly forgotten year of horror that New Orleans residents faced over 100 years ago now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. As always, uh, I'd like to give a little bit of historical context on what New Orleans was like in the early 20th century. So today, when you think of the city, you probably picture spring breakers partying in the streets, uh, Mardi Gras parades, lively, yeah, Mardi Gras. lively jazz musicians, um, and a deep history of intertwined cultures. However, in 1918, New Orleans was a very different place. If you traveled back in time, you would find a city with more problems than answers. So mm. World War One would be concluding in November of that year, in November of 1918. Okay. Uh, but, the, but the financial and cultural impacts would last for years to come. According to the National World War One Museum and Memorial, approximately 1,500 soldiers from Louisiana would never return home from the war. Mm. And many, many more would return but forever changed with life-altering wounds or PTSD or other right. factors that we see even today. After such a traumatic experience, that does make sense. Yes. In addition to World War One, 1918 saw the largest outbreak of influenza in modern times, yeah. um, also known as the Spanish flu, which more commonly known as the Spanish flu, killed an estimated 13 to 14,000 from the region in only two years. Ooh. Not only was southern Louisiana dealing with the death, they also had to contend with the racial attacks. So New Orleans had historically been a French and Spanish city with many residents still sharing those cultural backgrounds today. Mm-hmm. But at this time period, Spanish descendants and immigrants were treated terribly, mostly because the naming of the Spanish flu. Yeah, so most people are aware I now that, that when you said it. yeah, the Spanish flu is not uh, correctly named. It's a misnomer. Uh, did not originate in Spain. I think it originated in like Pennsylvania or Ohio. What the or hell? Some other place Why in the are Midwest. Why they calling it the Spanish flu? Um, it, it, there's a lot of factors, but ignorance and um, perhaps racism. Uh, yeah, a tinge of racism. Okay. It's not just one thing. There were there are a bunch of different factors, but that's okay. neither here nor there today. Got it. They would be ridiculed or straight up banished from their neighborhoods around this time period. Oh, and by the way, like we were saying, Spanish flu did not originate in Spain. Most historians believe it actually began in Kansas. So I'd forgotten I had actually looked into this because I knew I would be curious in the moment. Um, So with the earliest identified cases coming in March of 1918, very similar to the wave of Asian hate we've seen over the last few years, Mm. um, mostly just originating out of ignorance. But to complete the trifecta of terribleness, New Orleans in the 1910s was still very much segregated. Oh. It affected black residents in literally every aspect of their lives. Schools, transportations, transportation jobs, neighborhoods were all racial, racially separated. Mm. With some of the most intense racism in the South being concentrated to New Orleans specifically. Okay. So why am I saying all this horrible stuff yeah. about New Orleans? <laughs> Well, I just wanted to illustrate uh, that New Orleans and really all of Louisiana 
was not an easy or enjoyable place to be in the 20th century for almost everybody. Life Especially was, people of color by the sounds. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Really anybody of any other descent yeah. than English. Yeah. Life was really tough. Illness was everywhere. And the economy would be at its weakest point in history. Mm, okay. Wow. So all around, probably not the best time or place you want to find yourself if you had a time machine. No. All of these factors led to a very high crime rate in New Orleans, including homicide, which is where our story comes in today. Okay. But before we get into the murders, um, I just wanted to talk about how ineffective the police force was in New Orleans specifically at this time for preventing crime and solving cases, because it is going to come into play here because we're talking about a serial killer. Right. Okay. Uh, There were three factors that I could trace to why the police force was so bad around this time. One was corruption. So like many police departments in the 20th century, New Orleans was no exception. They were plagued by allegations of corruption. Um, Some officers were accused of accepting bribes or engaging in other forms of criminal activity, Mm. which really undermined the public trust in the department. Uh, Yeah. Uh, Second was lack of resources. This is pretty straightforward. Um, At the time, the New Orleans Police Department was way too small to handle the size of the okay. city. So the population was 350,000. Okay. In 1914, there were 500 police officers total for the whole city. Oh, shit. Yeah. Uh, and then the third factor was racial tensions. So the, the police force in New Orleans in the 1910s was also affected by the city's racial tensions, which sometimes resulted in police brutality. Okay. Uh, this further eroded trust in the department and contributed to a sense of animosity between the police and the community. All of this, the crime, poverty, segregation, war, sickness, leads us to the world and development of our killer. All right. So let's, let's get into the murders. On the morning of May 23rd, 1918, a man would break into the home of Joseph and Catherine Maggio, an Italian grocery store owner. At around 7 a.m., neighbors of the Maggios heard screams coming from their home. When the police arrived on the scene, they found Joseph Maggio dead in his bed with his throat cut so deeply that his head was almost severed from his body. Catherine was found lying next to him in bed, also with her throat cut, but miraculously still alive. Oh my gosh. She was rushed to the hospital, but died soon after arriving. No. The police found evidence of a gruesome struggle in the Maggio's bedroom. The couple's bed was soaked in blood, and there were deep gashes in the headboard and walls. Uh, It's assumed that the attacker had used a straight razor to inflict the wounds on the Maggio's, uh, which were described as from by the police as horrific and almost beyond description. Jeez. After investigating the scene, the police found a bloody axe and a chisel in the backyard of the Maggio's home. Uh... There were also marks on the side of the house suggesting that the killer had climbed up the second-story window to gain entry into their bedroom. This would be the first attack, and no leads would be found as to who the killer may have been. All right. The next attack would come just a month month later on June 27th. So at around 6.30 a.m., a neighbor of Louise Bessemer and his mistress, Harriet Lowe, heard screams coming from his apartment on the corner of I'm sorry, there's a lot of French names here. Uh, Dejoie and Larpe Street, Larfe Street. And I, I, again, I'm so yeah, sorry about butchering these. I'm, I'm trying my best here. We're, we're, not, <laughs> we're not built in French. I know. We both took Spanish in high yeah. school and you know, And I'm learning college. German currently. So yeah. we're like kind of all around it, but not French. Correct. 
Uh, so the neighbor quickly called the police who arrived on the scene to find a gruesome sight. Louis Besmer and Harriet Lowe were lying in bed with their heads gashed open. The killer had also bludgeoned them with an axe, leaving them with further severe head trauma. All right. The police found evidence of a struggle in the apartment with furniture overturned and blood splattered throughout the rooms. Jeez. There were no signs of forced entry, which initially led investigators to believe that the attacker may have had a key Mm. or been let in by one of the victims. Yeah, that's a safe assumption usually. So Louis Besmer was a wealthy grocer, and it was initially suspected that the motive for the murder may have been robbery. However, investigators found that nothing had been stolen from the apartment. Sounds suspicious to me. And there were also no signs of struggle outside of the bedroom, which this led to speculation that the attack may have been motivated by revenge or jealousy. Okay. This is where things kind of take a turn with the police investigations. Uh, almost immediately after the attack, police arrested a black man named Louis Obicon. Okay. Again, sorry about the names. I'm so sorry. Um, who had previous be- previously been employed by Louis Besmer. He was arrested because when police questioned him, he had a slightly conflicting answer on where he was the morning of the murder. Mm. But thankfully, he was released after absolutely no evidence was found to incriminate him. Well, good. The city would be quiet for the next month and a half until on August 5th, a woman named Anna Schneider was attacked. The intruder entered her home by cutting a panel out of her screen door and then using a chisel to force open a rear window. Oh, that's so fucking creepy. Horrifying, right? Yeah. Anna woke up to find a dark shadow standing over her in bed. She was then bashed in the face repeatedly with the blunt end of an axe before her scalp was cut open. Ew, ew, ew. Oh my gosh. Schneider survived the attack and was able to provide a description of her. She survived? She survived, was able to provide a description to the police. She described him as a tall, dark-skinned man who wore a dark suit and a slouched hat. What would a slouched hat look like? Probably, um, for the time period, probably like a, um... Bolo hat? Is that what they're called? Boulder hat? Bolo Bowler. hat? Bowler. How is that slouched? And a, or a fedora tilted, oh, tilted over the I face see. to try and probably block the face yeah, is what right. I'm guessing. I'm not here picturing a beanie. <laughs> I don't think they were wearing beanies in 1918. You're picturing like a flat rimmed baseball cap <laughs> turned back, backwards. Yeah, yeah. With the Monster Energy logo on it. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, So she described him as tall, dark-skinned, wore a suit and a slouched hat. This description was similar to that provided by other victims of the Axemen attacks. Although Anna did not remember any other detail of the attacks. That's fair. Yeah, right. Yeah. Valid. The police finally realized that they had a full-blown serial killer in their city. Dun, dun, dun. That's got to be a wild realization for police. I have a question, mm-hmm. and I don't know if you know the answer, but I'm going to ask you a question anyway. Is, isn't it, I think someone is usually considered a serial killer once they have killed three people. Is that right? I don't know. I will ask the internet. Okay, so the term serial killings means a series of three or more killings. So. Well, this was his third attack, but not third killing. But I think if he got his way, it would have been his third killing. Yeah, so that's fair enough. That counts. Yeah. Plus, it was 1918. They didn't have the lexicon that we do. Right. They weren't as much as of true crime nutheads that we are. Yeah. They No, you know what? I'm going to project that. that. They probably were. I think they, probably. They just didn't have the means that we do today. Yeah. 
Police would then arrest a man named James Gleason, who was an ex-convict and had been known for beating women. When the police arrived at his house for questioning, he fled. There was absolutely no evidence that Gleason was the attacker, and when questioned why he ran, he said he thought the police had come to arrest him for a different crime. Uh... But he had no knowledge or connection to Anna Schneider. He was released shortly after. And this is another small twist here. Anna Schneider was eight months pregnant when she was attacked. Oh, man. But here... Did she live alone? Uh, I, you know, I'm not sure, but I would assume so. Okay. Yeah. A lot of these people were poor immigrants. Okay. Um, so she European immigrants, right. Right. Okay. So she was eight months pregnant, but there is a tiny, tiny bit of happiness in this otherwise super dark episode. Mm-hmm. She did give birth two days after her attack Jesus and her baby was fine. Oh, good. Both Anna and her daughter would go on to live full lives without any other complications. Good. Oh my gosh. All right. That's enough happiness. Uh, the, the next attack would come just five days later on August 10th. He wasted no time. Went absolutely Can you get not. out of August? That's my birthday month. I don't want bad things happening. He's like right around your birthday too. Yeah, I know. When you said the first one, I was like holding my breath. <laughs> um, so next attack, five days later, August 10th, when an elderly Italian man, man named Joseph Romano would be bludgeoned in the head twice again, of course, with an axe. Romano would survive his initial wounds, much like Harriet Lowe would die a few days later in the hospital. Aww. Romano lived with his two nieces, and they were obviously woken up by the noise. Yeah. They entered the room a few moments too late, but were able to cl- catch a glimpse of the murderer running away. Oh my goodness. They described the man nearly identically to the previous victims, but no leads came out of this attack. Jeez. All right. What was this gentleman's occupation, did you say? Because there were a couple that were um, Italian grocers. Yeah, that that but his his um, pattern seems to be Italian immigrants. You said. Yeah, the book I read did not mention uh, what his occupation was. Okay, he was just seeking out. He was probably retired. Okay. Or okay. whatever the nineteen eighteen version of retired is. Okay. He was living with his nieces, and from what I can gather, from what I read around this this what I what I put in here. Um, they were probably taking care of him in okay. a way. Not fully, but they were kind of codependent on each other. Right, right. Just making sure he was well and eating and everything. Yeah, and making and, and they you know, they had a place to live and, and whatnot. So okay. so at this point there would be the longest break in the string of attacks. So you get your wish, we're out of August. Okay. Oh, now good. we're up to March tenth of nineteen nineteen. Yeah. Take some time off for the holidays, I guess. I guess. Sheesh. So he likes the fall. He li- he needs to relax a little I bit. I guess. So nice we're in what do you say, March? Stuff. We're in Mar- uh, March 10th of 1919. Mm-hmm. More chaos would ensue. Sometime in the middle of the night, Italian immigrant Charles Cordomiglia, along with his wife Rosie and infant daughter Mary, would all be attacked by the Axeman. They attacked the daughter too? The infant? We'll get to that. Oh. Na- neighbor Orlando Giordano, mm-hmm. after hearing the screams, would find a bloody Rosie, who's the mother, Holding her dead daughter in her arms. Oh, no. Charles was nearby, also covered in his own blood, in either dead or unconscious. All three were taken to the hospital, and after some recovery time, both Charles and Rosie would be released. Stay with me me for this next part, because it might get a little bit confusing, but I'll try and keep it as straight as possible. Once Rosie, the mother, was conscious enough to communicate with police... She accused their neighbor, Giordano, who had discovered them. Mm-hmm. 
she accused him and his 18-year-old son, Frank, of the attack. Oh. So it's generally unclear why she did this, but most of the sources I found said that it may have been out of jealousy, considering the Giordanos were more successful than the Cordomiglias. Oh, right. Uh, again, I know it's confusing, but the mother accused the neighbor who f- had found them attacked. Right, like at, of after the, the attack. Of yeah. being the attacker, yeah. Okay. Yeah, along with his the the neighbor's eighteen year old son Frank, but again, this is my only best guess why I, it's probably it was probably jealousy mm. if I were to guess. Okay. Both Orlando Giordano and his son Frank would be arrested and found guilty. Frank was sentenced. Oh. Yeah, Frank was sentenced to be hanged. Wait, who the heck is Frank? The son, the eighteen year old son. Okay. Yes. And the 69 year old Orlando was sentenced to life in prison. Mm. Thankfully, they, they were both sentenced to life? Uh, no, Frank was sentenced to be hanged. Jesus Christ. Yeah. Thankfully, police realized that they almost definitely could not have been responsible for the attacks. Orlando was in poor health, having suffered from chronic illness, and Frank was too large of a man to have both fit the profile and physically fit inside the home okay. where the murderer had created a hole in the front door. Okay. So this is okay. Scooby-Doo stuff. Scooby-Doo I mean, you stuff. can't fit through the hole. You can't you be a murderer. You probably didn't do the thing. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> In addition to this, Rosie finally admitted that she had made up the accusation. <gasps> that bitch. Yeah, and both Orlando and Frank were released before being hanged. Jeez, thank goodness. Charles, the husband of Rosie, would continuously deny the accusations against the Giordanos. Okay, so that was all Rosie. Yes, immediately after she made these accusations, he filed for divorce. Oh. Yeah, he was like, I don't know what she's talking about. She this is, is on fucking yeah. something. Yeah. Okay. okay. All right. So we're, we're going to take a short break from the attacks. Take okay. a deep breath. Okay. On March 13th, 1919, just three days after the attack on the Camiglias, mm-hmm. the Axeman of New Orleans would write a letter that he would send to a number of local newspapers. Mm. This letter was then published the next morning. And I, I would like to read it verbatim. Oh, okay, please do. Wait, I'm sorry, before I forget. Was it the was it the Zodiac Killer that was writing letters in... Did they write letters? Yeah, right? Because they signed it as the Zodiac. Mm-hmm. But were they writing to the police force, or were they writing in the newspaper? I know BTK was sending letters to the police. I apologize, but I don't know. I am no. really not sure. That's fair. I am more the serial killer knowledge one than... You tend to be. We'll probably cover both BTK and the Zodiac the Killer, Zodiac killer yeah. and the future, in which case I will definitely have an answer for you if I did the yeah. research. I'm guessing vice versa. Yes, yes, we'll revisit this. So, the letter that he penned to multiple newspaper outlets okay. in the New Orleans area, okay. titled Hell, March 13th, 1919. Okay. Esteemed mortal, they have never caught me and they never will. They have never seen me, for I am invisible. Even as the ether that surrounds your earth, I am not a human being, but a spirit and a demon from the hottest hell. I am what you New Orleanians and your foolish police call the Axeman. When I see fit, I shall come and claim other victims. I alone know whom they shall be. I shall leave no clue except for my bloody axe smeared with blood and brains of he who I have sent below to keep me company. If you wish, you may tell the police to be careful not to rile me. 
Of course, I am a reasonable spirit. I take no offense at the way they have conducted their investigations in the past. In fact, they have been so utterly stupid as to not only amuse me, but his satanic majesty, Francis Joseph, etc. These mm. are probably uh, cultural moments, references mm -hmm. that I'm not familiar with. Okay. But let me continue. But tell them to beware. Let them not try to discover what I am, for it were better that they were never born than to incur the wrath of the Axeman. I don't think there is any need of a such a warning, for I feel sure the police will always dodge me, as they always have in the past. They are wise and know, how, and know to keep away from all harm. Undoubtedly, you New Orleans think of me as a most horrible murderer, which I am. But I could be so much worse if I wanted to. If I wished, I could pay a visit to your city every night. At will, I could slay thousands of your best citizens, for I am in close relationship with the angel of death. Now, to be exact, at 12.15 earthly time, what a fucking nerd. I'm just, I just gotta say, serious narcissist What a nerd. This. Okay. And I, I, would, I would know. I gotta start this paragraph over. Now, to be exact, at 12.15 <laughs> earthly time, no. on Tuesday night, I am going to pass over New Orleans. In my infinite mercy, I am going to make a little proposition to you people. Here it is. I am very fond of jazz music, and I swear by all the devils in the nether regions that every person shall be spared in whose home a jazz band is in full swing at that time, I have mentioned. If everyone has a jazz band going, well, then so much the better for you people. One thing is certain, and that is that some of your people who do not jazz, <laughs> some of you people who do not jazz it out on that specific Tuesday night, in parentheses, if there be any, will get the axe. Well, as I am cold and crave the warmth of my native Tartarus, which is, uh, I believe, Greek for hell, mm -hmm. it is about time I leave your earthly home. I will cease my discourse, hoping that thou wilt publish this, that it may go well with thee. I have been, am, and will always be the worst spirit that has existed either in fact or realm of fantasy. Signed, the Axeman. What utter fucking bullshit. This is one of those things so that you think is so crazy. You think like, oh, that can't be real. Yeah. And when I read about this, I was like, did I, what am I reading right now? Yeah. Like, did I switch from, uh, did I switch from like a commentary, like a serial killer commentary show to, to, from fact? But no, this was, this was a hundred percent real. Yeah. Uh, the original newspapers have this story printed in them. You can go look them up. It sounds like. Like, just such utter bullshit. Like, I, like, I just, well, definitely a narcissist. I can conclude that. Well, the letter worked. And on the night of March 19th, residents of New Orleans played, played jazz music they, from their they homes. They jazzed it up. They jazzed it up. Mm. From sources I could find, which were secondary sources, newspaper articles, that sort of thing, nearly every street in the city was filled with sound. And there were no murders that night. I mean, I would listen. I don't want to get fucking axed. I, I thought this was a weird um, request. No, I, well, I'll get into the the specifics of the request okay. in the letter, but uh, a weird comparison. It sounds like he was just super unoriginal and decided to mimic the uh, Passover story from the Bible. The angel of death put blood oh. of a lamb. Yeah, but instead of the blood of a lamb, it's play jazz. Mm -hmm. Yeah, mm -hmm. I 
I would prefer jazz to the blood of a lamb. Yeah, I mean, it's easier. Yeah. Is it? Putting on jazz music? No. It, I mean, we could probably just put on jazz music, but I'm thinking like a live band, because back in that oh. time they had to do a live band, yes? Oh, man. This is really going to... I don't... Maybe. I think so. They might have had... What are they called? Phonographs? Phonograph. Yeah. they. I think they had those at that mm. point in time. They definitely had those at that point in time. There's no way that they would need live band. There were a lot of live bands that did play that night. Well, yeah. For obvious Go reasons. Out. Yeah. Jazz it out. You probably think I'm going to tell you, and this is the origins of Mardi Gras. It's not. No. no oh, nothing came of this. Thought. That would be crazy, but there, yeah. no, there's no traditions. Okay. Let's keep moving. Yep. You might be thinking that this is the end of the insanity, but unfortunately it is not. On August 10th, 1919, yet another Italian grocer. A year later from that other one. Um, about six months later. No, no, he did another one on August 10th. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 But about six months from his last murder. Okay, so he took another or, long sorry, break. Sorry, five months from his last murder. Yeah, okay. right. Another pretty long break, um, and this was yet another Italian grocer named Steve Boca. I can say that name. Poor Steve. Who was attacked by the Axeman. He suffered a gash on his head, but survived after stumbling out into the street and calling for his neighbor. He was rushed to the hospital to be treated, but he couldn't remember anything from that night, but he did survive. Okay. A very similar attack would occur less than a month later on September 3rd. Sarah Lawman was a 19-year-old who lived alone in her home. Sometime later, the neighbors began noticing that she had not entered or exited her house. So they went to go check on her okay. and found her unconscious, unconscious and bleeding from the head, but alive. Ooh. This was multiple in days. In her home? Yeah, in her home. Okay. This was multiple days after the attack. Dang. She, yeah. She oh, was she man. was unconscious or completely incapable of moving or, 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 or something for multiple days oh. after being attacked. I cannot imagine. That is terrifying. That's like such a fear of mine that something like that will happen to me or someone I love and like... Like, they'll fall or get injured or something, and they won't be discovered for a while. Mm-hmm. That freaks me out so much. It's really morbid, but they say when flies start gathering on the windowsills, the windows, that's how you know. Yeah. That's how police officers know to, what they're walking mm-hmm. into. Yeah. So, like uh, Steve Boca, she would survive but would not really remember anything from the attack. I mean, okay. that's a long time to be unconscious and yeah. still remember. Or so like in and out of consciousness. Of all of the attacks, can't blame her for this. Yeah. I can't, of course, you can't blame any of the victims. No, no, no. Of course. No, they were attacked. They were victims. Right. Okay. Finally, the last murder would occur on October 27th, 1919. A man named Mike Pepitone had gone to bed early while his wife stayed up in another room. She heard her husband screaming and found him covered in his own blood. The source I used also noted that the entire room was splattered, including a painting of the Virgin Mary that was hanging on the wall. Oh. I just wanted to mention it because I thought it was metal as hell. Yes, it is. Mike died on the scene before help could arrive. Just as suddenly as the murders began, they would stop. This would be the last known attack attributed to the Axemen of New Orleans. And I'm sorry for giving the disappointing news, but there are no credible suspects ever identified over a hundred years later no way no modern dna nothing. matches nothing Dang. not even a lead well there was a lead okay so there was one man named joseph motfer motfer okay who was reported to be a cred- credible suspect uh, so the story goes that and stay with me here the story goes that the widow of mike pepitone so mm-hmm. the woman who discovered her husband dead in, right. in the room 
um, shot and killed a man in Los Angeles in 1920 in an act of revenge for her husband. Okay. So it was thought that this woman seeked out. Sought. Sought out. Thank you. Yep. (laughs) Sought out the axeman of New Orleans and relocated to Los Angeles where she had tracked him down and killed him. Damn. That's an awesome story, right? Yeah, you Such a badass. Well, it's not true at all. Oh. It was later discovered that the story was created by crime writer Colin Wilson shortly after the attacks concluded. And all reports of Montfort being the murderer were false news stories published by sensationalist outlets. Uh, And I also wanted to note that nobody with that name was ever known to be living in New Orleans at the time. Oh. Nothing matches up. Um, Colin Wilson uh, had no intentions of creating this. He was just writing a crime story. Okay. People, it was the it was the news outlets that really took it and ran with it. Okay, all right. So that's not really on this guy, Colin. No, no, no. It's not. This is not his fault. So it's unlikely that we will ever know the true story and identification of the Axeman of New Orleans. He will forever survive as a legend of death, part human, part demon, but very real nonetheless. Shit. And that's gonna do it for us this week, everybody. Wow. I hope you enjoyed. Uh, the story was super intriguing to me as I was doing the research. So yeah. I hope. Again, I hope you enjoyed. Uh, I can't believe that I had never heard of this before. Yeah, it, same, it seems like it would be a pretty notable um, story. Yeah. 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 It seems like this would be something that you would see TV shows created after. Yep. I mean, it's it's wild. And I, maybe it's the time period, the setting. Uh, maybe it's the brutality. And I, I didn't go into detail with the brutalness of the murders. You yeah, can look that up yeah. on your own if you want because they get pretty gnarly. Mm-hmm. Um, there's talk about brains hanging out, okay. that sort of thing. Uh, so I just decided not to put it in, but if you're curious, if your morbid curiosity gets the better of you, absolutely do more digging. Go for uh, it, friends. if you find anything interesting out about the case, um, I read a couple books that I'll, uh, cite here in a second, but if you find something interesting that I didn't talk about, please let me know. Please let either of us know. We're super interested to hear more about this case. Yeah. Yeah, um, this is an interesting one. I'm going to seek out some documentaries. Mm-hmm. Yeah, see what we can find. Yeah. Um, but before we go here, I'd like to quickly list, list off the sources. First, we have Serial Murder and Media Circuses by Cameron Gibson. Cold Cases, Famous Unsolved Mysteries, Crimes, and Disappearances in America by Helena Katz. The Axeman of New Orleans by Myram Davis of the Chicago Review. And finally, The Axeman Came from Hell and Other Southern True Crime by kevin mcqueen thank you yes um and i also wanted to thank everyone for listening and please consider leaving us a review on whatever platform you use to listen to podcasts it really does help yes it does yeah and they also just like warm our little hearts yeah so and as always we will talk to you next week thank you everyone bye bye